Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Cannabis is big business here in Nashville. But if you looked at the battle over cannabis regulation in Tennessee's state legislature, you wouldn't know it. Marijuana legalization is going slowly in our state. In May of 2022, we had a conversation with lobbyists Frederick Coffin, head of the Hemp Alliance of Tennessee, and Cecily Friday, executive director of the Tennessee Cannabis Coalition. We began with Cecily explaining the marijuana for medical use, state-regulated Delta-8 and marijuana. Well, Delta-8 is a cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant. Um, it, it usually occurs in small amounts, um, naturally occurring small amounts. Um, what you see on the market today, however, uh, is Delta-8 that is derived from CBD. So it's converted in the lab using acids to pr- make the product. This is It's pretty much the same for um, Delta-10 product, Delta, uh, THC uh, Delta-10 products as well on the market in, in Tennessee and throughout the country. Okay. Well, since we're putting like a fine point on things here, what about hemp and cannabis? What's the difference? Well, hemp is cannabis. Um, The distinction um, between hemp and marijuana is a legal one, not a botanical uh, one. Um, It it is all cannabis. What's is it sort of like beer and liquor? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With with uh, marijuana, you you have high THC. Um, Yeah, and hemp, uh, federally legal hemp, is uh, under point zero three percent. Okay. Okay, you know, in this year's legislative session, we saw several cannabis bills introduced, but the one that got the most attention was the bill presented by State Representative William Lambert that would have banned THC products, including Delta 8. Break down the details of that bill for us. Well, originally the bill was designed to ban THC products in the state of Tennessee. Um, William Lamberth got uh, quite a bit of a backlash from the industry here in Tennessee over that bill. We spent, Tennessee Cannabis Coalition spent several weeks lobbying um, uh, against that bill and doing call-in campaigns, um, having citizens call in their legislators to object to the ban on THC products in the state. Uh, we have a, we have a robust um, uh, hemp industry in the state of Tennessee, so a lot of the industry professionals and industry partners um, worked together to to you know address this issue. Um, after two weeks of our call-in campaign. Um, to William Lambert and members of the House, um, we got we ended up I ended up getting a call from William Lambert on my cell phone when I was on the way to the Ryman to take my daughter out to a concert. Hmm. And we had a lengthy discussion about where we are with cannabis, you know, at the federal level and where we need to go at the state level. And I basically explained to him, and this is a really important point that everybody needs to understand about this, is that in with the 2018 Farm Bill, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell federally legalized low THC cannabis. So basically what we're regulating now at the federal level is Delta 9 THC, which is just one cannabinoid out of hundreds in the plant. 
And so now that hemp is federally legal, um, you know, the industry has access, legal access to cultivate and produce and dispense, you know, you know, a variety of cannabinoids that are produced in the plant. So we it was a it was a big game changer for the industry. And and, and as a result, um, of course, we've been doing hemp in Tennessee since 2015. But since the 2018 Farm Bill, we've, we've had an abundance of processors, cultivators and dispensaries pop up throughout the state. So what was what happened next after that phone call that you had with Representative Lambert? Well, once I explained to him that that Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell had federally legalized low THC cannabis, the the light went off. Mm. And then the conversation changed to, okay, how do we regulate this? And so that's, and and I want to make clear, there there are numerous other organizations that are, that were working on this in tandem. So we were kind of hitting this from all angles. Um, But, but there was, there was finally an understanding made that, you know, the horse had left the proverbial barn, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they needed to, they needed to safely regulate this. And, 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 you know, by and large, the industry in Tennessee has been very responsible about proactively regulating as far as age restrictions, as far as um, the amount of THC in products, um, you know, uh, childproof packaging. We, we as an industry have largely been proactive about, about doing these things. And, and, and we were the ones that came to the table and said, we want to we have these safe regulations and consumer safety regulations put in place for the benefit of the industry and for the benefit of consumers. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. This hour, we're talking about cannabis in Tennessee. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Frederick Coffin is the head of the Hemp Alliance Tennessee. Frederick, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You know, as Cecily mentioned, the 2018 Farm Bill drastically changed hemp policy nationwide. How did it really change things here in Tennessee? Well, one, it allowed us to fully commercialize the plant. Uh, you know, there were, I would say there was both positives and negatives uh, as far as effect. Um, from a positive standpoint, it allowed all of that research and development and the companies that started up, say, back in 2015, which Cecily already mentioned, it made it commercial that we could legally uh, do business. However, on a negative side where it left some holes is what was legalized was the cultivation of hemp across all U.S. soil, as Donald Trump wrote it, as they wrote it into the bill. Where we left off is having FDA regulation and oversight over all of the products that we now have proliferated shelves across the country and right here in the state of Tennessee, you know, and even from an economical standpoint, according to the fiscal note that the legislators came up with as they were presiding this year, it's over $200 million market in the state of Tennessee. That's good. But where we have opportunity is getting hemp defined as a dietary supplement and approved for food and drinks. Now in the state of Tennessee, with the work that the Tennessee Growers Coalition has done, 
it has been codified into our laws. And that's why you see restaurants like Lab Count and other organizations that are providing it in food, drinks. But from the United States total, we still have work to do at the federal level. How good? What's Tennessee's potential as a location for the growth of hemp? So let's just talk cannabis. You know, this is something that I preach as I go locally or across the country. The South will own cannabis once our legislators get out the way Hmm. and we set this up, you know, and it's ours to lose. Because when we look at when this was stopped, we own cannabis. The last contract that was done with the United States government on ropes for uh, ships was with Tennessee. And the best even, you know, and I get this from people out in California, Humboldt County, that whenever I say I'm from Tennessee, one of the things that they say is that some of the best grows in the country. You know, we, you know, I eat illicit market, but no, this is fruitful ground, fruitful ground for growing the plant. And so I, I believe that at the end of the day, the South will own the cannabis space, whether it's high THC or low THC. And then one of the other opportunities too, because we're so restrained right now, there is a lot of innovation going on in this state. You know, we're, 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 we're working with one hand behind our back and that's building our muscles. So by the time that the floodgates open, you're gonna see that experience, that innovation go across both sides. You know, some people only know of hemp through its association with reefer, but it has a lot of other properties. I know that hemp is being used for clothing and paper products, but, you know, Frederick, what else can it be used for? Oh, yeah. No, let's just talk about the plant. You know, I I truly feel that this plant was in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Um, God is both masculine and feminine. Also, this plant is both masculine and feminine. There is the masculine side, which doesn't get a lot of attraction right now, but it will very soon. That's the male plant, and that's for fiber and grain. Uh, And then we have the feminine side, which is the one that takes care of us. And that's all of the CBD and other cannabinoids that you see coming into the market. You know, when you look at the hemp plant, it is the one plant. Think about this. It's the one plant that can house you, clothe you, feed you and take care of you from a medicinal point of view. Cecily Friday is still with us. Cecily, Frederick mentioned CBD. A lot of people have used it for health benefit reasons and other reasons. You know, tell us, why is there resistance to CBD? Um, We honestly, I mean, of course, we're in the industry bubble, if you will. So we don't necessarily see that kind the kind of resistance you see with uh, CBD that you would with THC products. In fact, um, you know, we're seeing broad acceptance of it. It's 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 not psychoactive, uh, highly psychoactive like you see with THC products. Um, It's 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 generally safe. I mean, the FDA has said it's generally safe for use um, for consumers 
consumers. Um, and, and it's, it's well, it's well received that we don't have, you know, we don't see adverse reactions to CBD, um, like you do with, you know, pharmaceuticals. So I, I think, I think by and large, you're seeing a, a pretty, pretty great acceptance, uh, um, by consumers for these products because they work very well. They're very safe. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're now easily accessible. You know, we're a long way from the days of reefer madness, but there's still the stigma attached to cannabis, right? You know, Frederick, sure. Frederick tell, me, tell me, what do you have to say to folks who are ensconced in their opposition to pot? <laughs> um, yeah, being a minority, my first thought goes to this is not a black and brown issue um, and we're not destroying the world. <laughs> Um, but on another note, you know, um, we have seen the benefits of the plant, as Cecily just alluded to, that we're within consumers are getting broad acceptance. However, after 50 years of talking points and using black and brown people as a political wedge to demonize the plant, we still have a lot of work to do to really change the political narrative because the fight is not with consumers. They're loving it. Real quick from you, Cecily, what chances are we going to have of having, you know, federally removing cannabis marijuana from Schedule One drugs? Well, I think there's a lot of support in Congress for this to happen. Unfortunately, what we're dealing with is the same thing that that a lot of good legislation is dealing with um, is the 60 vote hurdle that has to happen in the Senate. And, you know, this is where good legislation goes to die. Um, and until we get past that hurdle, we're going to continue ha to have this issue. I mean, as long as we have a pro-cannabis uh, uh, president, too, we've got to deal with that as well. Biden is, is, has said that he wants to work on cannabis law reform, but he's not enthusiastic about it. So this is where people have to talk to that, put pressure on lawmakers and, and our president and uh, to, 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 to get movement on this issue. Because there are even Republicans that, that support this. It's just as a party, you know, it's it's a political issue. So that's that's where we we, we run into the difficulty of, of getting movement on this issue. That was Cecily Friday, executive director of the Tennessee Cannabis Coalition and Frederick Coffin, head of the Hemp Elias of Tennessee. Thanks to you both for being on the show. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue to revisit our episode from May of 2022 and hear what it's like to be a cannabis business owner in Tennessee. Today is the first day of our fun drive. Shows like This Is Nashville are made possible only with your support. So head to WPLN.org and give now. Thanks. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. You're listening to a rebroadcast of our cannabis episode from May of 2022. 
Why cannabis? Well, according to advocates, Tennessee is fertile ground for cannabis production. But compared to other states, legalization efforts for medicinal or recreational purposes have made little movement. But that hasn't stopped the cannabis and hemp industry from doing business. I spoke with local business owners Drea Groeschel Gunnis, president of Nusachi Hemp, and Derek Bassinius, owner of Lab Canna, a CBD and cannabis company. Here's our conversation. So you are both proprietors of cannabis products. Drea, I want to start with you. What is the biggest roadblock that you're facing due to its Schedule 1 status? Well, first I'll say that I am fairly new to this industry. So um, my perspective at this point is really fresh, right? I, I'm fresh to the, to the party here. And what I'm finding, I mean, I have, I have about two decades worth of, of consumer product launches under my belt. And now at the, at the helm of a company pushing out um, hemp-based products, I'm finding this web, uh, sort of this murky web that we have to navigate, um, you know, to build and put together a functioning uh, legal business. So, for example, um, you know, if you want to... Um, you want to put up a website for e-commerce. There are many vendors that will not work with you. If you want to be able to process credit cards so that the consumer can purchase your products, some credit card processors won't work with you. And often the ones that will work with you as a proprietor are charging you more because they see it as high risk because the regulatory area is so gray and murky for them as well. So by way of the high risk, you're now in a you're now in an environment where it is very challenging to start or operate a business as well as more expensive. Derek, are you facing similar challenges? Oh, very much so. Um, I couldn't echo that uh, any louder. But yes, there is something that the industry likes to call a green tax. Uh, that green tax is just increased costs, increased pricing, simply because uh, we are cannabis. And regardless that we are federally uh, legal in hemp, um, those barriers still exist to just do good business. Now, Drea, you mentioned before that you spent two decades in launching products for things. You know, go into a little bit more about the learning curve that you had to adjust with in launching this new product that's cannabis related. Sure. So, so Nusachi Hemp is launching um, a beverage uh, this July. We're very excited about it. Um, and it's a hemp-infused beverage. And, uh, you know, I have never had to put together a company where literally every call I make, the vendor on the other side may or may not take us on as a business partner. I have a great example of this recently where um, something as simple as a copywriter, so someone who's going to write copy for advertisements or for website verbiage, mm -hmm. literally came back to me and said, ah, you know, I have been advised by my legal counsel that I'm not sure we should work together because I don't think I can, I can produce work for you and take on that risk. A copywriter. So this is really stemming, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all around us. And when you really stack up the amount of vendorship uh, that is challenged by should they or should they not participate um, in this industry, um, that creates, it creates timeline issues. And again, it creates further expense, but it also takes away a talent pool. 
You know, so so when you know you're looking at pushing new products into the market, not only do we want to utilize the best talent and resources we have, but we also want to ensure that we are going to be able, by language and visual content, portray the best education to the consumer to make sure there is safety met and the consumer understands what they are buying. And at the moment, that piece of the regulatory isn't in place. And so we've had to sort of skirt around um, different language aspects of really getting to the point of what what we're actually selling. We actually can't say sometimes Hmm. because it might get pulled from the shelf because technically we're not supposed to say it because it's not supposed to be in the market. You know, right. And you can see now this can create a lot of, of misinformation and misguided um, education to the consumer. Now, Derek, you're big on cannabis education. It's a passion of yours. Talk to me. How did that develop? Absolutely. So that is um, really a personal story, um, much like many of those on this session. Uh, many of those that just exist that are cannabis proponents. It's because it had such a tremendous impact on a health and wellness scale. Um that's been the case for me. Uh, I had one of the worst traumatic brain injuries that Vanderbilt Trauma Center had ever seen. And I uh, credit my full cognitive recovery to cannabis and cannabinoids specifically, uh, neurological protection and regeneration. Um, that education component is so important, not just for consumers, but obviously our lawmakers, our law enforcement, educators, Uh, children, parents. I mean, it's really changing the perception that was uh, indoctrinated in us with the war on drugs. And that's 50 years of misinformation that we are trying to correct. And in order to get that education out there, we need to be able to have a platform to do so. And even that is forbidden, just like Dre was saying. So, you know, like like Dre was saying, have you been in a similar situation as to where you're trying to educate, you're trying to push forward new products, but you have to be incredibly vague with everything that you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, Many, all of the products that we make are based off of research that has been done, uh, not necessarily by ourselves, but true research institutions and medical professionals globally. Um, In order to bring that information to the public and to consumers, you're not allowed to just outright say this is definitively the result of why you're taking the product. Uh, you, You really have to have the consumer make that connection themselves. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking with people who run cannabis-based businesses. Now, let's get into the chain of supply and how that works. Jay Mitchell is an expert in cannabis cultivation, and he joins us now. Jay, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Khalil. So, you know, Jay, what are the most common misconceptions about cannabis products and how they are cultivated? Well, I think the one of the biggest misconceptions is that this product is simple to manufacture and produce in a clean, safe way. Uh, It's quite a complicated process and and difficult to bring new products to market uh, that uphold the the true safety and efficacy that we want to see as a cannabis product. So it's not as simple as throwing seeds in your backyard. No, sir. Not exactly. (laughs) So in preparation for the show, we heard someone say that Tennessee's hemp industry is, quote, propped up on toothpicks, end quote. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, I think Frederick made a good point earlier uh, with 
<laughs> with adversity comes strength. And uh, we've got a really strong uh, supply chain and a group of hemp operators in the state that have been able to to really create some some amazing outcomes. But it's extremely we're extremely limited, and uh, you know to to kind of battle the regulatory framework, how it continues to change, uh, how to you know keep yourself from making claims on products. The the whole process is is extremely difficult and uh, highly limiting. So in your opinion, would lawmakers really get on board to support legalization entirely if the manufacturing and cultivation process were a little bit stronger? Well, I think it's a it's such a complicated topic that rulemakers have difficulty understanding it completely and and placing the the correct regulatory framework around it. I mean, what what we've seen uh, since the farm bill in 2018 is there the interpretation of the intention behind that bill and the ability for these operators to kind of circumvent uh, some of the pieces to create compelling products that has clear demand in the market by consumers. Now, Derek, Jay were was just mentioning about how difficult it is for lawmakers to understand that you've been a push for education. Does what he said resonate with you? Oh, it absolutely does. And, you know, we really, Labcana, our company, our perspective is beyond just selling hemp-derived products. Um, we've grown, we've processed, we manufacture our own products. So we have that entire supply chain experience. And that's how you really get to give that accurate app education to those lawmakers. Thinking big picture about the business pr perspective here. You know, aside from the legal limitations, is Nashville a good market for cannabis-based businesses? Dre, I'd like you to answer that. I think the overarching answer is yes. Um, I think we are just very challenged right now with the regulatory environment. And so I think there, uh, I just want to applaud everybody on this call because there's a lot of champions out there trying to make great changes. And we're in a prohibition era. So we're blazing new trail and, um, and it's a tough road. But ultimately, there is a lot of economic value to be reaped uh, in this localized uh, regional area. And I think, it's, uh, I think it could be wonderful. You know, have any of you all spoken with your lawmakers, Jay? Not directly. Um, you know, I keep a, a close eye on it, uh, but it's, it's a really difficult channel to communicate well in. And I, I think we've got some good some good lobbyists and some good groups uh, paying attention and communicating the right things to our lawmakers. So, you know, these are products that people are taking into their bodies and the quality of the ingredients is very important. Jay, you alluded to that, you know, but there's fear that fentanyl might be used in black market cannabis products. So that's driving people to push for regulated legalization. Derek, explain to me, what's your view on this? Well, I mean, that is exactly the reason why we push for regulation so hard. Um, it's, you know, very rare that a business or a, an industry asks to be regulated. And this is one of those instances because having that protection and really changing the perception and cannabis shame that we've all experienced, um, that's where that starts. It's really making sure that uh, 
we have vetted products that the people that are checking to make sure those regulators that are making sure that the products are safe, effective, and as marketed, that is a huge pathway forward. Um, you're speaking towards the opioid epi epidemic. There you go. Why, why uh, continue to restrict and prohibit this industry when it's kind of contributing to the black market side opioid epidemic. Jay, you know, Drea, let me ask you this. You mentioned the regulatory environment. Is there anything you want to say about the current state of things? Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, especially with Tennessee, we're slow. Hmm. And um, that lag um, is, is continues to put strain on local businesses that are participating in this potential economic growth, as well as it puts uh, consumer safety in jeopardy. So I just can't stress enough how important it is that we continue to push forward, uh, you know, to our lawmakers and, and people that are lobbying on behalf of this industry to get the guidelines and the regulations in place. It's a must. Thanks for tuning in to this rebroadcast of our episode about cannabis in Tennessee from 2022. When we come back, we'll visit a funky little cart that would make Willie Nelson proud, and we'll take a look at a brick-and-mortar cannabis retailer. Your support is what makes Nashville Public Radio possible. Now, we're asking you to continue that support by giving at WPLN.org. Thanks. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Thanks for tuning in to our re-air from last year's episode about cannabis culture in Tennessee. Earlier in the hour, we heard from lobbyists and business owners. Now let's visit a couple of shops in action. In East Nashville, on the corner of Woodland and North 11th Street, there's a blue vintage truck that offers cannabis treats. It's run by the Garden family. Let's listen to our visit with them back in May of 2022. We're in Five Points, and um, this is like the, the Garden Family truck, the blue truck, we call it. Uh, we got the fruit stand right here, and then one of our tricycles over there, just kind of hanging out before we, you know, spread apart. This is like a really great local spot, so uh, we have a lot of return customers. So this one, it's like, a, it's an eighth of weed, it's half a gram of wax, and it's covered in keef. Uh, that's inside of King Paul, ready to smoke. Those things are a, a big seller for us. Uh, and then again, we have the pre-rolled joints and those are about like 1.8 grams of our higher THC flour. And that's, um, that's gonna be around like 15 to 17 uh, percent THC, depending on the strength. Uh, first of all, the laws in Davidson County are really lax, like, uh, uh, for instance, it's decriminalized up to two ounces to have uh, any cannabis products, and then there's no regulation on the distillates or anything. Um, and then on top of that, there's uh, you know other loopholes that we jump through uh, to be able to serve a higher THC. Uh, I just love weed. I have a passion for it, and I know a lot about it. So I'm like getting paid to smoke and sell weed every day. Like hell yeah. You know, we're just kind of like hanging out and then when the phone goes off and it's time for me to venture out to the city, I'll do that. 
Um, so we do 24-hour delivery service in Nashville. Um, we have a full menu and somebody, we have a phone number that you can text anytime and we'll basically just communicate with you and help you figure out what it is that you want. I just uh, served up uh, one of our regular customers. She's always looking for me in this area around six o'clock. This is a custom built um, cannabis tricycle. Um, it holds edibles on the bottom here. Uh, I have high THC. Um, I also have um, blunts. The tricycle is good because I can go anywhere I want to. I'll travel like to Broadway um, to meet, um, to serve the, the tourists who come to Nashville to like have a good time. I like to be a part of their experience. It's very fulfilling. We basically started the, the cannabis industry in Nashville on the strip, strip of Broadway, and we um, had space from, uh, next to Jason Aldean's, um, and we did a lot of business there on our, on our trucks, and we were the first ones down there. Um, but then bar owners and the parking lot owners um, decided that they wanted to do it themselves, so they they did. It's like I'm the ice cream truck, but like cannabis style. Now over the years, more and more businesses offering cannabis and CBD products have popped up in Nashville. Just before Thanksgiving, I stopped by Lab Canna in East Nashville to catch up with Derek Bacinius to see how business is going as they were preparing for Black Friday. So we have our new display right here. On this side is all of the genetics that we curated from Southern California and Northern California indoor hemp grows. Um, they are very, very high THCA content, um, which is really what the, the consumers are looking for these days. Uh, but there's, there's more to cannabis flower than just the high number potency. Um, smell, their flavor profile, Terpenes, flavonoids all have an impact, um, but right now, this is what we're looking at. So we have a range of 22 to 26, 27%, which is pretty substantial. We have Pineapple Express, which most people know from the movie. Um, we also have Blue Dream, another uh, flagship, but then Exotic Cushman's, Lemon Cherry Gelato, Exotic White Truffle. I mean, these names are standard cannabis verbiage. So on the other side, we actually have another grow that's actually based out of here in Tennessee. This is all of the Flow Gardens flower. These smell boxes, these look boxes, they have a little magnifying glass so you can see and look at the, the fibers on there, which really indicate the quality of flower. Uh, the, the dustier, the better. So you're looking at trichomes. That's really what they're called. Um, don't want to get too scientific, but... Uh, not only that, these grow boxes, you can actually give yourself a little smell. How's that? How's that? How is that? It smells good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I will say I am very partial to the genetics that we've picked. Um, we really took our time. It is technically illegal to grow because in 2022, there was just a change to the definition of hemp on the state level here in Tennessee. Um, but it is completely legal to purchase and resell. 
So it's similar to how the industry works in Amsterdam. Uh, you go to a coffee shop. Coffee shop is technically not allowed to purchase any cannabis. Um, so they have, they're doing like a, a backdoor situation where they have runners. They're only allowed to have 500 grams on site at once. So every day they have someone coming in, dropping off flour, and they're able to sell it to consumers. So it's this kind of unspoken rule of how this industry actually plays out. Got it. Mind flashing your ID for me, please? Pretty please. Wisconsin. I know. Wisconsin. Long way for this. Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I moved here about two, three months ago now. Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So are you in our rewards program already? I believe I am. Just one number in there, pretty please. My friend, you're totally just totally. big plans for the weekend. This is it, right Z here. Oh, let's go. <laughs> oh, I love it, love it, love it. I'm gonna enhance those plans. Exactly. Anything, anything you got going on, we natu naturally enhanced exactly. by our products. <laughs> What's going on? It's Derek Ferry with Lab Canada. Um, I'm probably the first person you're gonna see when you open that door. I'm um, probably going to be the person that checks you out at the register. And then if you have any questions cannabis related, I'm probably going to be the person that helps you with that as well. I love working with cannabis. I love uh, talking about cannabis with people who maybe aren't as familiar with it. Um, breaking down all types of stigmas or, or reservations uh, when it comes to cannabis use. So uh, I, I definitely enjoy that. In Tennessee, the Medical Marijuana Commission is looking at every state that is legalized, what platforms and programs work, uh, what license structure works, whether they're gonna go vertical, meaning that a company has to grow their own, process, harvest their own, extract their own, make their own final products, and sell and distribute their own, all under one brand and all under one company, or if they're gonna segment it out, kind of similarly to how the alcohol industry works here, it's definitely challenging, and it's been a long time of challenge, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, in 2019, Tennessee had about 4,000 licensed hemp grows. Uh, this year, we are sitting at roughly 350, and I would say about 25 to 50 are actually harvesting. I think that the Medical Marijuana Commission here is actually doing a, a great job taking their time. Uh, for the longest time, I was a believer and had faith that uh, Tennessee was going to be one of the first states to move forward with the legal program, we're looking to be one of the last. Uh, 40 states now have a legal cannabis program in some sense or another, be that medical, adult use, recreational, you know, all of our surrounding states are going through the same thing. Georgia just, I mean, they have two licenses out right now, but they've also approved cannabis to be sold in, in pharmacies. They're the first state to ever do that. Something just needs to happen. We're, we're all tired of waiting. I've talked to many, many, many business owners here, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of the product is coming from out of state because it's so difficult to create your own products and grow your own flour. The, the state has made it very, very difficult to do that. This is our brand.
We want to thank you and everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And this re-air was produced by Char Dastin and Elizabeth Burton. The original episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Mark Montgomery, Blaze Ganey, and Tanya Lewis. And keep up the good work and continue your support for This is Nashville and Nashville Public Radio. If you appreciate all the great things you hear on WPLN and WNXP, the time to give is now. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.